All right, good morning again. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 25 and looking down through verse 36, Lord willing. Navigate there. While you're doing that, I'll tell you that the topic is Jesus announces he will return to the one who sent him, but the Jews won't know where he's going. The title of our message, Return to Sender, Address Unknown. Let's pray. Father, today I've been just thinking about what a privilege it is to uh, serve you. And, and Lord, with that great privilege comes humility, we would hope. A humbleness, Lord, to know that uh, it's not of us, it's all of you. All of us here this morning, Lord, that are believers, we want other believers to see you in us, not us at all. We want to decrease so that you might increase. We pray that we would uh, get a glimpse of you today. We know that we see just through a mirror darkly, Lord, one day face to face. But your word is a powerful mirror, and, and it can show us many things, Lord, about you. I know we need to know some things about ourselves too, Lord, but those dissipate and are taken care of when we learn more about you. And so may we see Jesus today. We ask it in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, Amen. Hard to believe that Newsies opened on Broadway as a limited engagement. The popular musical's limited engagement became an extended run of more than 1,000 performances. A 2014 revival of Jesus Christ Superstar lasted only 116 performances. One critic thought it clever to title his review, It Is Finished. A musical about the Lord's first coming might be titled, uh, titled Thy Kingdom Come. John the Baptist, we read, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom offered by John the Baptist and Jesus was the on-earth rule from Jerusalem sitting on the historic throne of David's kingdom. People will beat swords into plowshares and shields into pruning hooks. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy shall lead them. You'll send your toddlers outside and say, go play near the cobra's den, honey, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest and not be hurt. Many of the characteristics of the kingdom were implemented by Jesus as he went around performing miracles. They were coming attractions. Surely this was the time the kingdom would come. But in this exchange, Jesus made a startling announcement. He would soon return to heaven. What about the promised kingdom of heaven on earth? The kingdom of heaven became a limited engagement when the king was rejected. Jesus would go to the cross, offering himself as a sacrifice, taking our places in death so that we might live forever. He would rise, conquering sin, death, and Satan. But instead of afterward establishing the kingdom, Jesus would temporarily return to heaven. Don't worry, he's coming back to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. God cannot fail to keep his unconditional promises to the nation of Israel. The kingdom of heaven on earth will have a 1,000 year extended run. We live in a glad you were sent but wish you never went age. After Jesus went and before his second coming, we live in the church age. It is a mystery that has been revealed in the New Testament. 
Uh, mystery in the Bible is something that was never previously known, could not have been known, but is now revealed. And the church, uh, the church isn't in the Old Testament. Israel is not the church. They are a people of God, but a very different people of God than the church. And so we are living in this age. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, knowing Jesus was sent encourages uh, about grace. And number two, knowing Jesus went alerts you to urgency. And so let's take a look at being encouraged in verses 25 through 31. I mentioned Jesus Christ superstar. It follows the uh, predictable secular blasphemies. Jesus is confused and unsure of himself. Mary Magdalene is unbiblically portrayed as a prostitute who wants Jesus to be her baby daddy. And Judas is the anti-hero who betrays Jesus only because he loves him to motivate him to do the right thing, hoping that he will rise to the occasion. There's plenty of drama in the biblical account. We're picking up the story with Jesus attending the annual Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And so verse 25, now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? Thousands of pilgrims were there. It was a time to recall God's faithfulness to the generation of Israelites that had wandered in the wilderness 40 years. We talked about this last time, how the people would live in booths or tabernacles outdoors, camping as it were, to commemorate that time. At this holy feast, with messianic hopes high, it was openly known that certain groups of authorities wanted Jesus dead. You bump into a friend at store after uh, church. You ask them what's going on at the church they attend. Oh, same oh, same oh, they answer. We started a new discipleship study. And we're making progress trying to murder the pastor. Seems a little strange. Yet here all these Jews were worshiping the Lord at the temple saying, oh, yeah, yeah, th those, uh, those Pharisees over there, those leaders over there, they're trying to murder Jesus. Th that's not normal. If you're in a church that wants to murder people, that's not normal. You know that, don't you? I, that's a, a basic level right there. So, Religion is dead and it spreads death. One of the first things you hear when you get saved is Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. True, and since it is true, folks ought to be able to see the difference between a walk with God and doing works for God. We were captives but have been freed. We were dead, made alive. We were debtors whose debts have been paid in full. There should be, if nothing else, a joy about us knowing the Lord who has done those things. The one thing we do that is not a work is believe. So verse 26 but look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Christ means anointed one. It's a title for the promised Messiah. The local Jerusalem guys did not think for a minute that Jesus was the Christ. They were mocking their rulers. Undermining God-ordained godly leadership is evidence that grace is not at work. Yes, there are abusive pastors and elders who oversee churches by what the Bible calls lording over people. I don't think it's as common as the multitude of anti-church bloggers would have you believe. Uh, I think there's more anti-church bloggers than there are abusive churches, and so they're vying for position to find all kinds of trouble in the church. Abusive churches aside, 
recognizing that they do exist and you shouldn't go to them, God does establish government in the local church. And so these guys uh, despised their leadership, or, or at least they thought their leaders were stupid. And, and that's, of course, possible. Uh, but they did it with ulterior motives, thinking that they were superior, as we'll see. Because their teaching in Jerusalem was when the Christ or the Messiah comes, no one knows where he's from. Now, scholars argue that this comes from emphasizing a few obscure prophecies about the Messiah. Uh, they found them and it made them feel superior because they weren't the mainstream verses that people talked about. To quote Captain Kirk, quoting Khan, they believed theirs was the superior intellect. They were not just proud, they were wrong. 30 years earlier, King Herod called upon Jews to tell him where the Messiah would be born, and they promptly responded, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, of course. And so it just wasn't true that the Messiah would burst on the scene uh, and no one would know where he was from. And no matter how many times they said it, it didn't make it true. A lot of times when you're talking to another Christian, who holds a contrary position in some area, just the fact that they're telling you is true doesn't make it true, uh, it, it, no matter how forceful they are. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you've been on debating teams before, I'm sure, some of you. You can debate both sides of an argument, can't you? You might believe one side and not the other, but you can debate both sides. And so just because somebody has reasoning, it doesn't mean they're right. And so these guys looking at some obscure texts and trying to appear spiritual. Then Jesus cried out, verse 28, as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. On the one hand, they heard uh, that they knew him and knew where he was from. He was Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son. On the other hand, he was sent by God the Father from heaven to earth. Now, we immediately understand what Jesus was claiming. He was at once this man from Nazareth and God from heaven. He was God in human flesh. We like to call him the God-man. Jesus boldly stated that these Jews did not know God the Father. They were not saved Jews sincerely waiting for the revelation of the Messiah. There were God-fearing Jews. Simeon was an old man who hung around the temple because God had told him he would see Israel's Messiah before he died. When young Jesus was brought to the temple to be dedicated according to the law of Moses, Simeon said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon's words ought to have been internalized by every Jew. He was speaking as the nation could and should have spoken. Simeon was no stranger to the temple or to the Jews. And it was no uh, secret that he believed and God had told him that he would not die until he saw the Savior. No one seemed to care. And so there were these prophetic even revelations. You think, you know, you would have a, you know how some people, they joke and they say they read the obituaries every morning to see if their name is in it. You'd think that they would check the obituaries for Simeon. Simeon's still alive because he said he'd see the Messiah. So who did that guy last see before he stroked out? Uh, and yet no one really seemed to care about that. They could not recognize God tabernacling with them when he was right in front of them. 
Don't lose Jesus while you are looking for Jesus. And by lose, I don't mean your salvation. I'm, just, I'm talking about you, you moving away from that personal relationship to something that is more like religion. Things that are good when overemphasized can cause you to lose the Lord while you are looking for him. Here are two common examples, examples at both ends of the spectrum. You can never read or study the Bible too much, contrary to something we read in the book of Acts that they said that Paul had gone crazy from reading the scriptures. I think, I don't know if he knew it was a Bible verse, but it's the only Bible verse my dad knew because he told me one time you were going to go crazy from reading the scriptures. But what you can do that might distract you is bind yourself to a particular systematic theology. There can never be one system of biblical interpretation that is always correct simply because they are man-made. It doesn't stop Christians from becoming so engrossed in their systems that they think themselves superior. They once shared Christ with non-believers, but now you find them sharing theology with believers, trying to convert believers to their particular understanding of these certain doctrines. You can never be too full of the Holy Spirit of God, but preferring and promoting certain manifestations of God the Holy Spirit is another potential for losing the Lord. The focus shifts from Jesus and onto the worshiper's behavior. It becomes more, uh, you know, a visible thing. D did God move? And usually that means did crazy things happen in the congregation? And so we can lose sight of Jesus and his manifestations uh, at both ends of the spectrum and anywhere in between and in a lot of different ways. Let the Lord show you. Verse 29 but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. God promised our parents that he would come to conquer sin and Satan and death. Centuries passed. God progressively provided more and more detail about his coming among us and about his mission and how he would accomplish it. Therefore, verse 30, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus must die on the cross. God the Father would see to it, by what we would call providence, that Jesus was protected until he could say, mission accomplished. President George W. Bush ignited a controversy when he declared mission accomplished. The president was criticized because the war in Iraq continued for several years thereafter. Jesus' mission was accomplished, but spiritual warfare obviously continues for centuries after. And he, of course, is criticized for it. God is blamed for the evil in the world. Jesus' words from the cross were, it is finished. It was, it is. Sin and Satan and death are defeated foes. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You can't do anything to me. Uh, you can incarcerate me or kill me, that's fine. I'll be with the Lord or you can let me go and I will uh, still uh, be with the Lord in the sense that he is using me on the earth. And so we have victory, but why the wait to set up the kingdom? Well, God is not willing that anyone perish. He is being long-suffering, giving all men everywhere and anywhere the opportunity to be born again, to be saved and avoid the wrath that is coming. The best way of understanding this is to think of yourself or someone you love, and you say, hey, what if the Lord had come back in 1999 or in you know, 2005 or even a few years ago? Would some of us be saved? Would some of your friends be saved? No. 
they'd be engrossed in the great tribulation. So God's long-suffering will end, but right now he's waiting. Verse 31, And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? They saw the signs and believed. A sign communicates more clearly than words, especially if you're dealing with a language that's difficult or unknown to you. Jesus' miracles were signs God put up to communicate one thing, that he was the promised Messiah. They were unmistakable, irrefutable, incontrovertible, incontestable, undeniable, unassailable, unquestionable, indisputable. Unequivocable, unimpeachable, and indubitable. They were all of those and more. It was a unique time in the history, in the spiritual history of the world, when Jesus did so many things, John will tell us at the end of his gospel, that if books were written about them, the whole world could not uh, contain them. Uh, and, and it was God saying, I am here with the kingdom. So much so that when Jesus was asked by disciples of John the Baptist if he were the Messiah, instead of just saying, duh, yes, the Lord said, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus said, go tell him you see the signs. They speak louder and clearer than anything I could say. Any one of those healings, any one of those miracles, an exorcism, whatever Jesus was doing, was a sign at that point in history that their Messiah was on the earth offering their kingdom. Jesus was sent. This is a word worthy of our deepest contemplation. It is a word that puts grace into action. J.I. Packer said, Grace means God sending his only son to the cross to descend into Hades so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. No one asked God to send. He determined to do it knowing that adding humanity to his deity and then dying in our place was the only possible way mankind could be saved. One person said, the incarnation, uh, the incarnation rather, reveals to man the enormity of his misery through the greatness of the remedy it requires. And so if you're ever struggling with the fact that people are sinners or that you are a sinner or anything like that, uh, or when you're sharing with other people who don't want to believe they're sinners, think of the enormity of, the, of what it costs God to deal with sin. He became a man which he will remain for eternity, uh, the God-man, and he died on a cross in your place. No one deserved for God to be sent. We don't merit it, we don't earn it, we don't work for it in any way. It is completely independent of us, something God does in spite of us. God doesn't need us, you would say. Uh, we don't complete God the way Eve completed Adam or anything like that. And so it's strictly a, a move of grace on his part. It's one thing to send for help. It's another for help to be sent without anyone asking. It is yet another when you send help that is unwanted and rejected. Send me, said Jesus, knowing his own people would despise and reject him, that he would be despised and rejected of the Jews. Our God sends. And so let's be ready to say to him, here am I, Lord, send me. 
Knowing Jesus went alerts you to urgency, verses 32 through 36. Gotquestions.org is a site dedicated to answering your Bible questions. According to the counter on their website, they have answered nearly 750,000 questions. Ask them, why do most Jews reject Jesus as the Messiah? And this is a part of their answer. The Jews rejected Jesus because he failed to do what they expected their Messiah to do, establish a kingdom with Israel as the preeminent nation in the world. The Jews believed that the Messiah, the prophet which Moses spoke about, would come and deliver them from Roman bondage and set up a kingdom where they would be the rulers. The people of Jerusalem shouted praises to God for the mighty works that they had seen Jesus do and called out, Hosanna, save us, when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. They treated him like a conquering king. Then, when he allowed himself to be arrested, tried, and crucified on a cursed cross, the people stopped believing that he was their promised prophet, and they rejected their Messiah. Our text shifts now from Jesus being sent to him went. I know that sounds awkward, but it is the proper English in Riverdale. (laughs) The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Authorities listed heard murmuring that some were believing in Jesus. They used their authority to issue essentially an arrest warrant. The temple had its own limited power police force. They were better than mall cops, but you get the idea. They were a first line of defense. Officers were dispatched to hook up Jesus. We won't see what happens until a future study, but they don't arrest the Lord, stating to their superiors, no man ever spoke like this man. And so they just said, yeah, I'm not arresting him. Uh, you want to arrest him? No, not me. Uh, we might have to lose our jobs here, but this guy, you know, I'm not a, there's no reason to arrest him. Verse 33, then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. DC Talk say, uh, saying tick, uh, time is ticking away, tick tock ticking away, captures a sense of urgency. In the case of national Israel, opportunity to accept the Lord was ticking away. Graciously, their opportunity would continue even after Jesus went back to heaven. It isn't until some years later that God announced to Israel through the Apostle Paul, this is at the end of the book of Acts, therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Uh, it seems like the, Jesus ascending into heaven and the kingdom was still being offered kingdom of heaven on earth, but the Jews continue to reject it under the preaching of the apostles and disciples. And so Paul said, okay, right now, this is it. This is, God's program is on hold while something else glorious and wonderful takes place prior to the return of the Lord. Paul explained in his letter to the churches in Rome that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then he rejoiced, saying, all Israel will be saved. Verse 34, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Adam Clark writes, when the Roman armies come against you, you will vainly seek for a deliverer, but you shall be cut off in your sins because you did not believe in me. Albert Barnes writes, their Messiah would be in heaven, and though they would earnestly desire his presence and aid to save the city and nation from the Romans, yet they would not be able to obtain it. 
Verse 35, then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Their comments are meant to be derogatory. They insinuated that even if Jesus went out to less learned, more liberal Jews, and even to idolatrous Gentiles, he would still not be received. They did not realize it, but their comments turned out to be prophetic. The dispersion are Jews living outside the Holy Land. Greeks means Gentiles, all non-Jews. Jesus would go to these by commissioning his disciples to go into the world making disciples. And in the book of Acts, you read that they went to Jerusalem, Judea first and spread out through Jewish regions until they got into Gentile territory where there were dispersed Jews and Gentiles. And so these guys wrong about everything, not spiritual, not believers, and yet they hit uh, the nail on the head in terms of what was going to happen. Verse 36, what is this thing that he said? You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Pinky and the brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. They are laboratory mice whose genes have been spliced. Every episode, the brain asks Pinky some iteration of the question, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Pinky always answers along these lines, uh, yeah, brain, but where are we going to find rubber pants our size? I think so, brain, but we'll never get a monkey to use dental floss. I think so, brain, but if they called them sad meals, kids wouldn't buy them. Answering their question with the same question is a pinky-like response. And, and so they, these guys don't have a clue as to what's really going on. Thy Kingdom Come, the musical, would feature a rendition of the classic song Jerusalem by the early Christian rock band Gentle Faith. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, why won't you believe in him? Don't you know, can't you see that your king is this man from Galilee? Israel, oh Israel, where, uh, who's Messiah, can't you tell? Don't you know, can't you see, your king is this man from Galilee. The lyrics are suggested by something Jesus said, recorded by Matthew in his gospel. It's called his lament over Jerusalem. He said, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus went and he has been poised to return ever since. There is a sense of urgency in the Christian life. One of the last things Jesus promised us in his word was, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. It might be today, it could be right now. Vince Havner writes, uh, Vance Havner rather writes, don't ever come to church without coming as though it were the first time, as though it could be the best time, and as though it was the last time. Hard to live like that, but exciting. The extended run of the kingdom of heaven on earth will give way to the eternal run of the new heavens and a new earth. Believe Jesus and God and you will be saved. Amen.